everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the cows come home. Mm. Uh, and once they do, we have to stop the podcast. Doesn't matter if we finish or not. That's it. Cows oh, are no, home. No, I put one of those those grates on the ground, though, that the cows can't get over. So we're going to do it forever. Oh, cool. That's good. That means until the end of time. Uh, and since <laughs> it's till the end of time, that means that we are now ready for the, <laughs> for the start of the show. Uh, James, what are we talking about today? Today we're we're continuing into 1931. We are still on Agents of Shield season seven, episode one. Uh, this one you're going to start at 1529 and end it at 1733. This is the synopsis of what happens in this scene. Enoch is controlling the healing pod while Simmons and Rodriguez look on. Simmons tells Rodriguez that the Shrike tissue is dissolving and her body is breaking it down, and she is cleared to go outside. Simmons then opens a case and reveals a pair of mechanical arms. They are for Rodriguez. She doesn't want to accept them, but Simmons tells her to take her time to process it. Um, I want to say real quickly that I'm excited to not talk about what Shrike tissue is at all. Uh, you'll have to wait lots and lots and lots of time for that. Needless to say, it's getting better. And you'll find out what that is in several years' time. You'll forget about it, but then you'll someday you're going to go, Wait, why do I know this? Yeah, exactly. Um, And, okay, so mainly, well, um, what I'm going to start off by talking about is a a very quick and essential Avengers Ensemble. Avengers Ensemble. This is the first time on this show that we have seen Melinda May. She is in a coma, mm-hmm. but this we're seeing her. So I'm going to talk about Ming-Na Wen uh, now because I can't wait to talk about her in like, like five or ten episodes. So Ming-Na Wen, you know her. Oh, Listen, you, know her. you don't know. You maybe don't know uh, Agents of Shield. That's possible. Right. You know so, Ming-Na Wen. Here's mm-hmm. her career, her sizable career, in basically reverse chronological order because that's how IMDb does it. So, she is in 10 episodes of Gremlins, Secret of the Mogwai, which is in post-production. She is in two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, which is in post-production. She was in two episodes of Star Wars The Bad Batch, playing that same character Mm -hmm. uh, from Book of Boba Fett. She was in one episode of DC Showcase The Losers. She was in uh, um, four episodes of The Mandalorian. Yes. She was in 136 episodes of this show. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. It's not The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but uh, I like that I said it. it sort of makes it sound fancier. Um, <laughs> she made a cameo in the live-action uh, version of Mulan. And why that's cool, you'll, we'll get to mm-hmm. in a little bit. Time travel, it's weird. Um, she was Hala the Accuser, which is the name of a... Hmm. Uh, uh, One of the, the, uh, as, the Black uh, Order? No, the um, no on, in Marvel. Um, right. The Kree. Was the, the Black Order? Yes, 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 yes. Right, because that's the, the kids, yeah. basically, right? Of of Thanos. Well, the the spe- like the Black Order was the special like Kree. She's were... she's an accuser like uh, Ronan. Oh, like Ronan. That's no, yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, yes, yes. Um, I couldn't pull the name Ronan. Um, in Marvel like Rising Heart of Iron and Marvel Rising Secret Warrior. Oh, cool. Um, she was in four episodes of the Guardians of the Galaxy television show, which apparently existed. 
It was um, okay. One episode of We Bear Bears, which I mentioned not because it's comic book related, but because it's amazing. I love that show. Oh my it's god, so good. The, what episode was she in? I don't know. I didn't write it down. Oh, that's fine. Um, don't, don't worry about it. My this We Bear Bears is one of the first instances where my kids were like, "Watch this," and I was like, "Does anyone know that this is great? The children are watching good stuff. When did the children start watching good stuff? Like, what's happening here?" Um, that is a show that I watched as a grown ass yeah. man from start to finish. And was like, I am watching a show intended for children. There's a, Although there's I a did show. the same thing with DuckTales, I guess, but still. Yeah, there, there's a show. Well, DuckTales was. But at least like DuckTales, that... there was a previous version that I was yeah. like, oh, I grew up with that. So there's a reason for me to connect. But like We Bear Bears, no reason for me yeah. to, to necessarily get into that other than just I was like, this is great TV. I'm the, having the, a great time. The kids uh, went through several television shows over the school year where they would take a lunch hour and they would watch like two shows or something. Mm -hmm. They definitely did DuckTales, um, which I was like, yay. Great show. Um, Oh my God. I wish I I had a DuckTales podcast. I'm just going (laughs) to put that out there. All right, go ahead. Um, There uh, is a show called Amphibia on on Disney, uh, which we were at Disney. And so Disney at their hotels has the Disney channel on their TVs because they're not stupid. Right. And so... I watched it and I was like, this is really good. You get, this is really good. Right. And the kids are both like, eh. I'm like, <laughs> like, okay. It's, well, it's no wee bear bears, but yeah, I was like, sure I'll add it to my list. Thank you. I'll watch it on my own. And I still haven't, but you know, that's just how commitment to stuff does. Um, she was in Lego Marvel's Avengers as Melinda May. Um, she was in six episodes of Phineas and Ferb. Three episodes of Adventure Time, 31 episodes of Stargate Universe, 17 episodes of The Batman, 118 episodes of ER. Uh, she was, my notes say, right. I forgot Mulan that. in the movie Mulan. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. What, James? That's, and that's why she made a cameo in the live action version. I, but James, that's yeah. a, I, I can't believe this. I didn't see this one coming. I'm kidding. I I I have I've been stoked to talk about her because I. That's she was funny. also in Mulan too. Also as Mulan. Wouldn't it be wild if she wasn't Mulan? Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um. She was in Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, which I remember falling asleep to back in college. Um. <laughs> she was in five episodes of the Spawn television show. Um, which was also something that existed. She was Chun Li in the John Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie, which. Oh. In 2014, she said on the Arsenio Hall show about, she said, it's a good movie if you're drunk. Um, She was on seven episodes of Eureka, and she was on two episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when she was 22. And Colin, I'm going to send you a picture that I took from uh, a video uh, with the express thought of, holy crap, that is Ming-Na Wen in 1985. Eureka, well, oh, you probably don't have this because you wrote it down and you didn't. You don't have it open right now. Is Eureka that show? I confirmed, before I wrote it down, I confirmed that Eureka is that show. Hang on. It's that TV show. Yep, Colin Ferguson is just yeah. like a podunk. Like, he plays like the idiot dad who knows jack shit about science. And he's li- he's like in Oregon. And they yeah. have this like center for science, essentially, that's just like, hey, Every episode, something goes horribly wrong. You are completely yeah. unequipped to deal with it, but please go deal with it. Yeah, I have watched exactly. so much of that show because yeah. of, I was like, what a ridiculous premise I'm in. <laughs> wow, that really is. And this is such a weird statement to say out loud, but that really is her. 
It's she plays a royal trumpeteer in the land of make believe. She was on it was a two episode arc as this character because Mr. Rogers did not, as they say on the television show, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, fuck around. Um, her name Ming Na means enlightenment, which I think is really cool. So that is our Avengers Ensemble of Ming-Na Wen. Um, I wrote a note that says Enoch is playing Fixing May with his eyes closed like it's a piano piece that he knows very well. He's like, kind of like has his his eyes closed and his, like he has his fingers on these like manipulation chords or whatever. But he the way that he's like manipulating them and fixing her like wounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is like he like he's playing a concerto, and I think it's a cool way to play that. Like, I'm a I'm a um, chronicom, and I am doing chronicom stuff. But what does that look like? Because it could be that he's just plugged in, right? But the fact that they give him like a it's sort of like a, there's an art to it. I thought was very cool. Um, they said uh, Simmons says that May should be up in a week or two, and I said so. It's gonna be a while for us. Um, however, we'll see because, um, spoiler, it's not, it's going right. to be like oh, of a couple of episodes because she's Melinda freaking May. She's going right. to be up before. Well, it's, before. she, she plays that type of character that does that thing where they are literally dying and they're like, yeah. I'm fine. And everyone's yeah. like, no, I can see the blood loss. And they're like, <laughs> uh, look, just give me a minute to catch my breath. I'll stand up. I'll keep yeah. fine. And they're like, please just rest. Like. We, I, you don't have to kick everybody's ass. And, and they're like, mm, no, I think I do. And they're like, you're going to die. They're like, fine. It's a great way to go out then, you know? Fine. It's, it's I'll lie down and, and convalesce. You're, you're moving towards the door. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to go to a different place to lie down. I'm just going to go to where the fight is and I'll lie you down You're loading a gun. Actually, Melinda May doesn't load a gun. If she needs That's one, true. she takes one. But um, by the way. I had not appreciated that in the first part of the show. When that came back in the latter part of the show, I was like, oh, right, she's a badass. Ah, yes. I don't know why I'd forgotten that, but if I need one, I'll take one is amazing. It's such a good line. Like, to me, like, that's one of those lines that, like, you know, people get to say in in TV shows or movies like this. We're like, God damn, that's so good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In in real life, if you were like, hi, go fight this, like, person that has godlike powers, I'm going to be like, look, I'm against guns personally, but yeah. please give me one. Yeah, like that's the only I weapon I can think of that like is going to stand a chance against this, right? But like the fact that she's like, I'll take one when I need one. Like <laughs> kind of like basically putting you in a booster seat, patting yeah. you on the head and saying, Enjoy your sippy cup, champ, and then just like walking nice out the prepared door. Prepared weapon you got there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you you still need one of those. It's like someone who sees a, a gun as a training wheel, and you're like, yeah. they're like, wow, oh, that's so cute that you still use that. And you're like, <laughs> you're like against a literal god, and she's like, yep, uh, just let me just stretch real quick, and I'm good. Gonna sweep the leg. Here we go. Melinda May has one. I don't know. I just do it. Oh, I just how, do it. I don't know how I do it. No, it's not true. I do know. It's because I'm Melinda May. Anyway. Years of intense training. Um. Okay. So the other thing I looked up. Um was uh, uh, Simmons talks, to, Gemma talks to uh, Yo-Yo about uh, the arms that she has that um, mm-hmm. um, have been made sort of special for her. She said that they, that um, Fitz used the same design as for Coulson's only 
more realistic looking and like better because right you know Fitz did it did Coulson's like four years ago and has gotten better Correct. um and uh and yo-yo says um thank you but I'm I'm good I don't want to forget what happened I don't want to forget you know that, that this has happened to me I don't want to like try and like mask it over and make it look like right. oh I have real arms again or whatever and then Simmons says this really cool thing about like when was something when was the last time you actually touched something with your fingers, and Yoyo's like ah oh, that's a good that's a decent point, and then Gemma's like also it's 1931 you can't walk around with robot arms like right people will people you're you're already a woman and a minority so probably don't have robot arms too right that's not the point Gemma made that's the point I'm making correct um, I mean look you can get away with only so much with the Mountie police you know what I'm saying right. Like, exactly. You get to a point where they're like, "Listen, I get you're from Canada. Don't think this is a thing." Right. Me- now you're from Canada, not Mechanica. That um, was good. Me- That's very sorry, good. Mechanica. You're from Canada, not Mechanica. There we go. Yeah. There um, you go. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll edit out the first one so that Thank way you, you. Thank you. Yeah. So Mechanica would be a better name for a country that right. was full of Mech people, but Mechanica is the anyways. Cut, right. cut all that. What I did was I looked up prosthetics from the 1930s. Okay. Oh, that's cool. To, to see what someone who had lost their arms would be working with in the 30s. <laughs> I don't know why you said it like that, but okay. Is it worth it? Can they work it? Put their prosthetic on and reverse it. I'm not sure what <laughs> the problem here is. Um, I'm going to send you another picture. This is a prosthetic from the 30s. Oof. It says it could be operated via a cable running from its end near the wrist and attached to the arm of the prosthesis. It was made of enameled wood, metal springs, aluminum, and leather. It looks um, extremely uncomfortable. Now, this is, an, uh, this is an actual thing from the 30s that was auctioned. It was something that I found on like an auction site, and it had been sold. So someone owned this. Uh, someone owns this and owned it, um, which is fine. It's a piece of mechanics, but it's weird that it's like this was someone's arm at one point. So, in a way, Yo-Yo's robot arms would be like, yeah, this is out of place. In another way, this is, and we'll post this picture somewhere, I guess. Um, this arm is off-putting also. So, like... Oh, my God. Hang on. Have you seen... I'm going to send you a picture now. Okay. Have you seen this one? This is also of the time. I just scrolled down on my notes like the picture was going to appear there. Oh, I just sent it to you. Look at that. That's horrifying. I mean, not not to like, you know, put someone either. They're doing their best with what they have, but like they couldn't figure out. I mean, uh, it looks like there's a. So if these are removable extensions. Where it's like you have to, and also he's he's messing with a scythe, like I he's know. already dealing with some morbid stuff. Now, okay, now this is one that I've definitely seen things like this before in previous, uh, in like other movies and stuff like that. Like, uh, like I don't know how to describe that, but I've definitely seen prosthetic pieces that look like this, and this is sort of what I yeah. would expect to see from 1930. And this, and and if I mean like if you. I think that we can see the through line here of like you got the 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 wire uh connected to the thing. This this one that I sent just has more of a hand like thing on the end of it. But I think if you look at the wrist of the one I sent you, 
You yeah. could see it as being like, let me take off this part and put on my scythe handling extension or whatever. And the other thing is, I'm going to send you a close-up of basically the same type of prosthetic that you sent me with yeah. the hand, like the back of the hand is opened up. And to, the funny thing is, is that like, I was like, this yeah, looks this is exactly... The same, this is the same thing. This is the right. exact, this is from the same series. It, it looks exactly like in Star Wars when yep. Luke loses his hand. Yep. And the robot is like piecing his like new robotic arm on. Like that's what the inside looks like. And that yep. so, you know, if you can imagine that, dear listener, then you can imagine what this prosthetic of nineteen thirty looks like. Yeah, this is and this is this is that same piece. Which means that things have not changed a lot between nineteen thirty and a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right. I think Yo Yo is going to I think we see her at the end of this episode being like or the end of this scene being like, Okay, that's a good point. Whether she decides to uh, go with the new prestheses or the old ones is yet to be seen, I think. But I think we sort of know which way she's leaning. If she was to be seen in authentic, period-appropriate prestheses, uh, it would also uh, gather some attention, too. So Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like how often, like, even, even in modern-day society, how yeah. often do you walk around and see someone who has two missing arms yeah it's not super common you know what i mean so it's just like that no matter how you do it it's going to draw attention i i think that here's the thing i think that if it was just a normal person every day i would be like this is i mean i kind of still feel like in a way part of the conversation is very ableist yep right however i also understand that the whole uh, purpose of this and point of it is to say listen you have super powers you have abilities you know, you need to be able to use them and not, oh, uh, this is kind of spoiling something, but you need to be able to use them and not hurt yourself because right. she had prosthetics that uh, would hurt every time she tried to move because they couldn't move as fast. Well, as she but could. They, they, they fixed those. I mean, they tuned, they, it was just a tune up. Right. I know. But I'm just saying like that was yeah. something that had happened. So it's like, okay, you need to be able to use these, have them not hurt and also look normal because we're out here trying to save the world and we can't have the mission come to a close because you've, right. you know, been... Uh, you know, targeted for how you look and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, like, and I guess what I guess how I took it was not like, come on, wouldn't you like to be a complete person and be able to touch things? See, that's that's how I took it. Which was I took kind it of, as I was kind of like that's cruel. You are already using a technology that Fitz made. Fitz made a new technology. Oh yeah, true, true. And that technology is improved in the in the way that the one you're using now, you can't. The sensation on the on the uh, of right. touch is not as refined. If you don't don't wear your, you know, your iPhone six as a as a hair shirt, when there's an iPhone ten that has a, an upgraded thing. You know what I mean, like. I, I, I guess I think my my thought was that like for her she was like you know uh, this will make it look as if nothing ever happened to me and I I want to be able to like remember that like this was this thing that I like I got through that I survived all this other stuff and like when you put this on I'm just gonna look normal right you know what I mean um, to, but, to her credit Gemma doesn't say no you need to do this that, and that, that I will say that is also a very good point that like yeah. I, I hadn't thought about some of the things that you had brought up I mean, and, and again I'm not an expert either so that, yeah. that's just how I took it too 
that is all I had for our main episode notes. I would love to talk to you about um, a piece of music from 1931 before we get out of here. Um, no, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, go for it. What if I, what if I told you, what if I further told you it was by a Mr. Louis Armstrong? What? Okay, never mind. I'm all ears. New Orleans actually, now you aren't currently there, but you actually would not be welcome back if you said, nah, I don't want to hear about that guy. Um, I was gonna say, literally, they're like, hey, you know, the, the actual airport you fly into? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Not allowed to fly into it anymore, buddy. I'd be like, oh. (laughs) Satch Nomo is what we, uh, okay. Okay. Um, so uh, the song we're going to be talking about is called "Lazy River," um, and this takes a little bit of a uh, a little bit of history to get to. So, okay, Armstrong had gone away from New York. Um, I think he. I think he was. I didn't. I didn't want to do the whole biography of him. Anyways, he returned to New York in 1929. Okay. Um, he played in the Pitt Orchestra for the Hot Chocolates, which was an all black review. Um, so basically, like, he was sort of, like, I know that you probably know what I mean when I say review, but, like, it's sort of, like, it was a stage right. show, but most of the of the stars were the pit orchestra and, like, maybe the, the singers of the songs that were on mm-hmm. the stage, just sort of, like, a medley. So he did he did uh, an all-black review written by Andy Razoff and pianist Fats Waller. Oh. Um, Armstrong started to work at Connie's Inn in Harlem, which uh, was the chief rival to the Cotton Club. So... The Coke to or the Pepsi to the Cotton Club's Coke, um, if you will, um, a venue elaborately uh, a venue for elaborately staged floor shows and a front for gangster Dutch Schultz. Huh. Armstrong also had considerable success with vocal recordings, including versions of famous songs composed by his old friend Hoagie Carmichael. His 1930s recordings took full advantage of the new RCA ribbon microphone introduced in 1931, which which imparted a characteristic warmth to vocals and immediately became an intrinsic part of the crooning sound of artists like Bing Crosby. Armstrong's famous interpretation of Carmichael's Stardust became one of the most successful versions of the song ever recorded, showcasing his unique vocal sound and style and his innovative approach to singing songs that had already become standards. Armstrong's radical reworking of Sidney Arodin and Carmichael's Lazy River, recorded in 1931, encapsulated many features of his groundbreaking approach to melody and phrasing. The song begins with a brief trumpet solo, then the main melody is introduced by sobbing horns, memorably punctuated by Armstrong's growling interjections at the end of each bar. For instance, yeah, uh uh-huh, sure, way down, way down. Um, Which... Armstrong made sound, it doesn't say this, but I'm going to editorialize that Armstrong made sound way cooler than Puffy ever did on sort of the same uh, (laughs) idea. Uh, In the first verse, he ignores the notated melody entirely and sings as if playing a trumpet solo, pitching most of the first line on a single note and using strongly syncopated phrasing. In the second stanza, he breaks into an almost fully improvised melody, which then evolves into a classic passage of Armstrong's scat singing. As with his trumpet playing, Armstrong's vocal innovations served as a foundation stone for the art of jazz vocal interpretation. The uniquely gravelly coloration of his voice became a musical archetype that was much imitated and endlessly impersonated. His scat singing style was enriched by his matchless experience as a trumpet soloist. His resonant, velvety, low-register tone and bubbling cadences on songs such as Lazy River exerted a huge influence on younger white singers such as Bing Crosby. Now... That's the end of my notes. I'd like to all uh, have us all sit for just a moment 
in the idea of Bing Crosby influences colon Louis Armstrong, which I think is is fine. But to be like, yeah, Bing Arm Bing Crosby, you know, one of his uh, one of his influences, Louis Armstrong, and just being like, huh, yeah, that's uh, I guess you take influence from all places, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. kind of like there's this band called Sublime. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who has taken? No, I'm kidding. So that that's a little uh, teaser for Patreon, but you'll uh, have to go to our Patreon in order to hear about that. Will that not be coming out before? Um, oh, it, it definitely will be coming out before this episode. So that's why I'm saying it now. October. You can, you, yeah, it's coming out in August. So or it yeah. came out in August rather. So you can yeah. go back and listen to that. Exactly. But that is all I have. Once again, you can find. Uh, once we start releasing these episodes, uh, I'll put a link somewhere on the Timeline Scavengers or whatever for the playlist of Music 1931. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out the songs that I've talked about um, on that playlist. And that is all that I have for this episode. Colin, you want to do some social media for us? Absolutely. I would love to do that. Thank you for kicking it over to me. Um, well, before I do that, though, James, where do people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Unabashed James. Fantastic. And if you're looking for the show that you're listening to right now, you can find us at Timeline Scav. Uh, but if you want to hear more about the network that we're a part of, uh, you can check out Scavengers Network at Scavengers Net on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me personally at Colin M. Parker. And you can also find Nick Bramald, who wrote the intro and outro music that you hear at the start and end of the podcast. Uh, He is on Twitter at nbramald, B-R-A-M-A-L-D, or you can go to nickbramaldcomposer.co.uk. And also, since I've got your ear here for a moment, I'd like to recommend a Scavengers Network show to you. I'd like to recommend to you the first podcast that joined the network. So not the first podcast that was on the network, but the first one to like not be made by me. Um, mm-hmm. And that is Spooky Spouses. Spooky Spouses is such a delight. It is Jordan Reed and Lindsay Reed out in Ohio, uh, you know, telling you about spooks and ghosts and uh, and 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 uh, cryptids and murder mysteries and Tony Hawk. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, it's such a little delightful, little lovely show. Uh, it's very goofy, uh, but also has you know your all your favorite like haunts that you could possibly find out about. Um, so check them out, Spooky Spouses, and you can find them on our website, scavengersnetwork.com, and you can actually do a little listening party to all the podcasts that we have there when you click on the shows. Uh, and so with all my recommendations and all of our information out there, that is going to do it for us here on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I'm Colin Parker. And I'm James Anderson. Excelsior! are rolling. 
Welcome to How to Texas. We are Samantha Bennett, Francis Roman, and Drew Saplin. Individually, we're filmmakers and film lovers who live and work in Austin, Texas. Together, we produce and host a limited series about the specialists who have built careers and are making movies in Texas. We're not talking about your Richard Linklaters or Matthew McConaughey's, but we hope they're listening. We're talking about the crew members behind the scenes that do the dirty work just off camera. The ones who bust ass for 12 plus hours a day, year in and year out. The ones toiling away in the harsh elements of the Lone Star State. To bring you art and entertainment in the form of movies and TV shows. Have you ever wanted to know how an animal trainer deals with massive amounts of feces on set? I know all of y'all have been dying to know. Or what differentiates a background artist from a stunt performer. Or how a production assistant really feels about their job. For six weeks, we'll spotlight different departments of production and interview key crew members with jobs crucial to the process. What do these people do? How do they do it? And how is it different in Texas? Tune in to How to Texas each week to learn a few things about working in the film industry at large. Hear anecdotes from set and dive into the magic of the Texas movie-making spirit. How to Texas is presented by Hyperreal Film Club. And produced by The Direct Line. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Subscribe where you get your podcast. Today. Baby. Baby. Okay. (laughs) The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.